But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, reading of your, of your holy and sacred word. Father, we look to you this morning that, Father, you would be pleased to instruct us and to guide us, Father, to teach us uh, from your word, Father. We do desire to hear your voice uh, as we look to your word. So, Father, to these ends we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, I think we could say that we, we truly labored behind the plow. Um, there was a lot of history last week, wasn't there? A lot of some of you who were here last week, uh, maybe some who listened to the message online. There was a lot of uh, uh, a lot of context. We did the hard work of of plowing through that context. And, uh, you know, I, I might say and I, I'm not saying this because I, I necessarily feel any of those pressures here uh, from any of you. But I do feel these pressures from time to time. Uh, but there is, a, I think, a mindset today that um, everything is to be fun and everything is to be entertaining and everything is to be um, uh, of that stripe. And um, I, I got to say, sometimes I feel the pressure of this. Again, I don't think that I feel it from any of you. I don't want to give you the impression like, well, how are, we, how are we pressuring, you know, Rick to be like feeling like he's got to entertain us? I don't feel that from you. But I do feel it, I think, because we, we are in many ways, a product of our day, aren't we? You know, you hear constantly, well, there's this new gadget out and it teaches you this and it's fun and it's, you know, or there's this new way of learning a language and it's fun or this new way of learning an instrument and it's fun. And you get in this idea where everything needs to be, has, has to have some kind of entertainment component to it. But the fact is, life is not really like that, is it? Um, you know, if we raise children that way, they're not going to be ready for the real world when... Uh, when when they're of age, uh, because uh, the workplace is not always fun, is it? <laughs> no, uh, not even by a long shot. And where am I going with this? Well, I say this this applies to our faith. I mean, learning the great lessons of of Scripture is not always easy. You know, sometimes some of you will come to me and say, you know, I've read that passage like fifty times, and I never got that out of it. Well, you know, it's. Don't feel bad because it, 
It just doesn't. God could have listened. At the time of our conversion, God could have given us perfect knowledge of every doctrine in the scriptures all at once. And we could perfect, have perfectly in that instant understood uh, everything in the Bible from start to finish. Uh, we would be perfectly unified in everything. He could have done that if he wanted to. But if, did you did you notice that he hasn't? You know, it's it's been in his, you know, really in his perfect wisdom. Um, you know, he he has called us to struggle along and learning this truth. Actually, it takes time, doesn't it? Uh, it takes uh, it takes patience. It takes prayer and it takes study. Now, as we read through our passage this morning, some of you may have thought, you know, I remember a little bit of this from last week. You know, these strange names, Zebulun and Naphtali, you know, I, I think I know what that is. You know, you ever read through, especially the prophets and the Psalms and like in our, our reading this morning, you come to Tabor and Herman, you know. What in the world? Rahab. What, what, in our, what in the world is all of this? You know, uh, well, last week we, we spent some time with Zebulun and Naphtali. And we you'll recall that those are the regions in the northern part of the Holy Land. Right. They get their name because that's the name of the tribe of Israel that was settled there. Uh, the regions of Zebulun, the regions of Naphtali. Naphtali is clear up in the north. Zebulun is just a little bit south of it. And if you if you look in the back of many of your Bibles, you'll see a map that has all of this. You'll find Asher right along the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, that's what's going on there. And last week we saw the great apostasy that Israel uh, it was committing. And you'll recall that at this point in time, uh, Israel is separated. There's the the... The, the northern tribes have separated from the southern tribes. You have the house of Judah in the south. You have the house of Israel in the north. So you have this king up north and you have another king down south. And uh, uh, what's going on in that particular time? You have Assyria, uh, which can be confusing because you have Syria and then you have Assyria. Uh, you just add an A-S to Syria and you have the other Syria. Okay, The Assyria is a, a nation that's growing in great power and strength and they're ruthless, they're cruel, they're conquering everything that's in their path. And Israel hears about this and they hit the panic button, right? And what do they do? They call up, instead of calling on the Lord and asking for his protection, they call up uh, Syria and they say, listen, why don't we get together? And if we get together on this, maybe the two of us will be strong enough to stand up to Assyria. Maybe both of us would be able to, to do this. And um, that's that seems good to them. But last week we saw what are they doing? They're trusting in their own devices, aren't they? They're simply trusting in their own devices. I mean, they have good reason to panic. They're not strong enough to stand up to Assyria. And we made some application about this last week. You know, this is godlessness is what it is. And 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 the apple, one of the applications I made last week is that godlessness creates anxiety, doesn't it? It has to. I mean, if there's no God to protect us, then we're going to be anxious, aren't we? If we have no God to protect us, if we're left to our own devices, yeah, we're going to be very anxious. And, you know, when we put the world before God, we actually panic over everything. Proverbs 28.1 tells us that the wicked flee when no one is chasing them. Other places in the, in the Word of God tells us that, that uh, the wicked flee over the rustling of a leaf. Um, so, you know, but of course, in this particular uh, situation, you know, Syria and Israel has have good reason to be anxious. Uh, they can't stand up to 
uh, this rising uh, Assyria. Now, Israel and Syria, they call up King Ahaz down in the south. They ask him to join their club, and, and Ahaz refuses to join their club. And this makes them pretty cranky, doesn't it? And we saw that back in Isaiah 7. They get really cranky, so they decide they're going to go down and they're going to attack. Uh, and uh, what does Ahaz do? Ahaz hears about all of this. So he calls up Assyria and says, listen, protect me. Instead of calling on the Lord and asking for protection... You know, last week I said Ahaz and Pekah, Ahaz in the south and Israel in the north, they should have all been calling the Lord. Say, listen, this threat of Assyria, protect us. That's what they should have been doing. But instead, they're creating all their own devices. They're trying to do all their own things. Ahaz says, you know what? I'm just going to call Assyria up. I'm just going to ask Assyria to protect me. So he makes this truce with the world. And you know what happens to him? He becomes enslaved to Assyria. And... You know, here's another lesson about worldliness. I mean, it enslaves its constituency. And it's, it's enslaving. It enslaves its constituency. Worldliness enslaves its followers. One of the present judgments of God for worldliness is a treadmill. It's a treadmill. You know, when we prioritize other things over the Lord, we put ourselves on a relentless treadmill. And the more stuff we put before the Lord, the faster that treadmill goes. And what are we left to do? Run and run and run and run. But where do we go? We don't go nowhere. Because when you're on a treadmill, I mean, you can run as hard as you want. You can run as fast as you want. But you ever notice that you get off the thing the same place you got on it? When we succumb to worldliness, we have no rest. Put stuff before the Lord and you'll run day and night serving stuff, killing yourselves to try to pay for it, killing yourselves to try to take care of it and worrying yourself to death over losing it. There's a spiritual law in force here. Isaiah 57, 20 puts it like this. The wicked are like the tossing sea. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up myrrh and dirt. It cannot be quiet, and its waters just toss up myrrh and dirt. The apostle John says they have no rest day and night. No rest. The result is gloom and anguish. The result is deep darkness. The result is spiritual blindness. Now, last week I said several times that Going in and doing the hard work of understanding Isaiah's valley helps us to understand Ohio's valley, doesn't it? So when we look around and we see what's happening, we shouldn't think that anything is strange going on. This has been happening in every generation all the way back in Isaiah's day. Now, uh, uh, let me add this point here. Uh, you know, when we talk about all this, I think it's easy for us to think, well, well, surely what Rick is talking about is people that are outside of the church. You know, this is this is this is those folks that are outside of the church. Not so fast. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah chapter one and verses 12. And I think we looked at verse 15, but I'll read for you verses 12 and 13 where God says to uh, through Isaiah to his people, uh, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. What's going on here? Who is God talking to here? 
He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are going to church. He's talking to people who are in church on the Lord's Day. Now, of course, they worshiped God on Saturday and after the resurrection. Well, now we worship the Lord on Sunday. But the point is, this is the church. And God is rejecting their worship. I, I don't know if you've, you've probably noticed this many times. I try to remember to do it every time we worship. The very first thing I like to pray for is that God will empower us to worship him in such a way that our worship is pleasing in his sight. You, you, how many, you, you've probably picked up on me doing that. I try not to forget that because it's possible to go through all of this and worship God in a way that's not pleasing in his sight. And that's exactly what's happening here. Now, what's going wrong is a sermon for another day. But my point is that these folks are in church, but they're they're in church, but yet they're in deep darkness. Their hearts could be on all kinds of things. Their hearts could be, you know, the temple was beautiful. Their hearts could be on the beauty of the building. Uh, their hearts could be on the beauty of the service. Oh, wasn't that a beautiful service? That was so beautiful. And, uh, you know, you were singing so well and, and, and all of this is fine. But if that's the complete focus, where's our heart? We can be in here going through the motions and going through it all. And our heart be so far away, couldn't be further away from Christ. When the guy three houses down who's on his knees repenting of the fact that he should be in church and he's not in church because he got all boozed up last night could actually be closer than any one of us. You see, and that's the case that's happening here. Their hearts are far from Christ. He's unknown to them. He's nothing but a concept. That's a question that I like to ask when I'm talking with people to try to help them uh, find their way. And I've asked some of you this question. Is God a concept to you? That sorts out a lot of things. Is Christ a concept to you? Is he just a concept? Or is he a real, alive, living Savior who's protecting you, who's walking with you, who's strengthening you, who's comforting you? It's a good question to ask. Uh, the, the, the darkness that we see here is, is darkness everywhere, and it should fill us with tears as we look at this darkness. What's our comfort? What is our hope? Look at Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Just this first line. That's all I want to really concern ourselves with this morning. You see that line there? That it was our scripture memory verse this morning. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. There's where our comfort is. Our only comfort and hope is Christ. And this is one of the reasons why I said last week that the passage we've come to is the greatest passage in the Bible. You remember me saying that last week? I said so many things last week. If you don't remember any of it, I don't hold. I wouldn't hold that against you. But I think this is one of the greatest passages that we have in all of the Bible. Why would I say that? Because here we have a gift. And what is the gift? Look at the verse. The gift is Christ. To us, a son is given. You know, we don't have to get on that treadmill. <laughs> We don't have to be wealthy to get this. In fact, we have to put all of that away or we cannot have this, uh, this gift. Jesus is not for sale and his love cannot be bartered for or earned, can it? 
Look at, the, look at this glorious text. To us a son is given. Christ is a gift shouted from the housetops. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. It's one of the most beautiful melodies I think we find in all of Scripture. You know, Tammy and I don't watch a whole lot of TV. One of the things that I do to relax from time to time is I, I like to, I'm always searching for music. Beautiful, I, been, lately I've been looking for, trying to find the most beautiful music I can find. And I have found a couple artists and they're, they're just, I mean, just, I, I could listen to them all day. And uh, when you, when you come across beautiful music, it captivates you, doesn't it? Look at, the, look at the beautiful melody in this single word given. I mean, sometimes we just need to stop and say, you know, that's beautiful. Given. The word given. Our father knows how to give good gifts to his children. He, he's given us the greatest of all gifts. You know, in the remaining part of the time here, I, I want to focus on just this line. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And I want to do it under, under three headings, just kind of briefly this morning. And the first heading is who the gift is for. Who is this gift for? We'll, we'll consider that first. Second, what is the value of this gift? And we're only going to scratch the surface of that, aren't we? We're going to try. And third, all blessings are found in this gift. We don't look anywhere else for any blessings. They're all here in this package. Let's start with the first. Who's the gift for? Let me speak about this right away. Christ, he is offered to all, isn't it? He's offered to all. He's free for the taking. I mean, at Christmas time, father's in the room, uh, with the exception of perhaps Cody this morning, we don't have to teach our little ones what to do with those packages that are under the tree on Christmas morning, do we? Now, you, you will. Uh, last year, we had to give Kylie a little bit of instruction, a little bit of help. She was only two. But you know one of the things I observed this year? She was doing just fine on her own. It's funny how we pick right up on that. They know what to do. There's this package and, you know, you rip the paper off of it and there's something inside and it's a gift. And if, if your name's on the tag, it's yours, isn't it? If your name's on the tag, it's yours. Now, sometimes parents will buy gifts that are for all of their children. Tammy and I over the years have done this where we've bought a gift and, and the gift is it's mutually for all of the kids. And... Uh, the way we did it in our household was we'd have it wrapped up and we'd have a name tag on it and all the names would be on the name tag. And, and then after uh, the kids opened a few gifts, then we'd say, okay, come here, all three, you know, all of you to get together, gather around and uh, you, you open this one together because it's for all of you. It's for all of you. And I think the last gift that we brought, that we bought that way was the trampoline. I mean, it belongs equally to uh, all of our grandchildren and they opened it up together. And uh, it's theirs. Now, when we look at the gift that is in Isaiah 9, 6, there's a name tag. And it reads to us. To us. Christ is offered to us. I mean, this this issue, actually, it sound, might sound like really, I mean, this sounds really simple. Why am I laboring so long on it? But through the course of church history, there's been problems with that. In fact, the ARP, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, uh, was born over a controversy over this. The, uh, uh, the Church of Scotland had fallen into a, 
a form of uh, Piper Calvinism. I don't want to get into that this morning. But it, it concerned the free offer of the gospel. Should the gospel be offered to everyone? Or should it only be offered to certain people? There were ministers in the air in the Church of Scotland that stood up. And this was just one of the issues, but they stood up and they said, wait a second, the, the, the gospel is to be offered to everyone. And they, they pressed that issue and they pressed that issue and actually they were moved from their office. Uh, their intentions were to try to reform, but um, sometimes in your efforts to be, to, to be reformers, you, you find yourself uh, defrocked and that is what happened. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will what? I will never cast away. I will never cast away. And all are to be invited. Whoever comes will be received. And and how do we take him? We take him with the hands of faith, don't we? We take him just like we take that package under the tree. It's got our name on it. Jesus has your your name on it. You take him. You reach out with the hands of faith and you take him to be your savior. You take him to be yours. That's how he is taken. Now, having seen that the gift is for all who will take him, let's look at the value of the gift. Um, Again, I can only scratch the surface here, but let's begin by looking at two words in our text. Notice the word child and the word son. I think we we can grasp that. We can get a hold of that. I mean, every child is of inestimable worth, isn't he? Or she. I mean, there's there's a lot of things wrong in our culture, but... At least for the most part, we still value children. You know, if I were to make an announcement right now that there's a youngster, you know, three blocks down uh, who's in a real dire need, uh, I know what you will do. Uh, You'll do the same thing that Tammy and I will do. You'll pony up and immediately help that child. Why? Because we value children, don't we? We value children and we should value children. And in addition to this, we know that every child is an image bearer of God. Right. And that alone adds inestimable value to all human beings, doesn't it? And what about a son? I mean, every parent, I think, can understand the value of a son, whether we only have daughters or not. We can we can see the value of a son. Now, this is just looking at things on an earthly level here on a horizontal level. You know, let's 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 consider this on a greater level. When you look at Isaiah 9, 6, I mean, who is this child? I think we all know that he is Christ, right? And I didn't have intentions of developing that this morning, but I think we are all there, right? If we're not, and this isn't the last message we're going to preach on Isaiah 9, we'll, we'll preach more. And, and we'll, if we're in any doubt about that, we'll, it'll become clear as we go along. Uh, now, We've all seen that all children are precious, but how much more? How much more the son who is uniquely God's son? Because Jesus is uniquely God's son. Jesus is impregnated in the womb of the Virgin Mary as the Holy Spirit overshadows her. Jesus has no biological Father. He has no human father. He is uniquely the son in this respect that his father is the father in heaven. Now, uh, we could say that every child is an image bearer of God, but 
With Jesus, he's more than that, isn't he? Hebrews 1.3 tells us he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We can't say that about any other child, can we? And what kind of value do we put on that? He is God's unique son. At his feet, archangels fall to the floor and worship. Only God is to receive worship. Only God is to receive worship. But archangels, the most powerful of the angels, fall prostrate at the feet of Jesus, don't they? In adoration and worship. Jesus is God in the flesh. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet and anthems sweet while shepherds Watch or keeping. This is Christ the King, isn't it? He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the long-awaited Savior of Israel. And he is a king. And we'll talk more about that in a future message. But for now, I mean, we, we could go on indefinitely here, couldn't we? I mean, we could say, okay, this is what we're going to do for 2017. I think we could do it. With 52 messages on this, I don't think that's a problem. How about the last point? All blessings are found in this gift. I mean, it's, it's a common error today to speak about grace apart from Jesus. That was brought to my attention by a talk I heard. Uh, I can't remember where, um, but it seemed to me that, uh, and I'm trying to even remember now who I heard it from. It might have been Sinclair Ferguson, maybe. That it's, it, it, I, upon hearing it, I thought about it. And I'm like, wow, I think it's, I think he's onto something. It, it, it is. I think it really is. It's it's a common error today to speak about grace, 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 grace so much. But w- what is this grace? You know, somebody listening into all this might think grace is some kind of substance that flows out of a hose or something. You know, w- what is this grace? Well, we, we don't want to we, we don't want to think about grace apart from Christ because there is no grace apart from Christ. There is none. The gift is Christ. There is no blessing apart from the gift. So you see all blessings come to us in Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 3, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Do you know the rest? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What blessings do we receive in Christ? Every blessing we receive in Christ. So you see, it's in this gift that has our name on it. It is here where we find every blessing. And among these blessings is being called out of darkness. Colossians 1.13. We read this early in our service. He did the first verse we read. From Colossians, he, that is the father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that darkness and gloom we've been talking about. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And we have to understand what that darkness is, or this doesn't make any sense, does it? I don't like talking about darkness, but we have to. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What a wonderful gift that is being transferred. You know, I got transferred. Sometimes people talk about getting transferred and it's not good. I got transferred. Yeah, you got transferred. You got on someone's nerves and you got transferred. 
But this is a good transfer, isn't it? I got transferred. I got transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Have you been transferred? Did you, do you take that package that your father had for you under the tree? You know, the one that's for all of us? Did you find your letter of transfer under there? Oh, here's one of the gifts. Oh, it's for you. I think it's for you, Peg. It's for you. You've been transferred out of the darkness and you've been brought into his magnificent light. What an incredible gift. What an if that doesn't wet your eyes, you're you're still blind. You're still in the darkness. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 adds, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the gloom, isn't it? I read that passage quickly because we read this. We've read this passage so many times. You know this passage, don't you? It's gloom, it's spiritual death, it's spiritual darkness, it's living for the flesh, it's following after the world, it's all of that stuff. But there was this transfer letter and this gift. And we got transferred out of here, didn't we? It's what's so, do you hear the melody in given? <laughs> Can you hear that melody? The word given. Do you hear it? It's, 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 it's echoing out of the cathedrals of heaven. It's echoing off the, it's echoing off the, 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 it's reverberating throughout heaven where all of those angels are gathered and the saints who've gone before us, they're all hearing this word given. It's echoed all over the place. There's something that we need to understand to get this. We need to understand that when we were in believers, we were, we were not just a little bit off. We were spiritually dead, weren't we? We couldn't see. We couldn't hear. Then comes the gift. Then the eyes. Christ gave us, by way of the Holy Spirit, life. And we need to understand that our unbelieving friends are more than spiritually blind. Our unbelieving friends are more than spiritually blind. They need more than just a good talking to. We need to understand that. As unbelievers, we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually blind. Now, someone might ask, and this was one of the things that was asked in church history a number of times where people thought, you know, all right, if people are spiritually blind and spiritually dead, why bother preaching the gospel to them? Why bother? They can't hear you. I mean, you might as well go to a cemetery and, you know, they can't hear you. It's the way people reason. Well, why? Why should? Well, it's because the gospel is the instrument in God's hand in which he uses as he accompanies it with his Holy Spirit to open up blind eyes and to impart new life. And Jesus gave us a wonderful illustration of this in John chapter 11. When he went to see Lazarus, Lazarus had passed away. He had been in a tomb for four days when Jesus showed up. And what did Jesus say? Roll, roll the stone away. What? 
roll the stone away. And what did Jesus do? He called Lazarus and told him to come out. Did Lazarus ignore him? That's a wonderful illustration of the gospel. That's exactly how it works. As we share the gospel, God imparts life to whom he will impart life. That part of it is not up to us. That part of it is not up to us. It's up to us to to share the gospel. And I think we can see the importance of prayer in all this, can't we? I hope, I mean, you know, as Americans, we have a problem here because we want to be busy doing things and we want to see measurable progress as we do it. We want to see, a, we want to see measurable progress for our efforts, don't we? We're pragmatists. We're incredible pragmatists. Okay, if we're going to put X amount of effort in here, we're willing to do it. We'll work hard and do it. But we want to see the bottom line here. Uh, we want to see progress. We want to see measurable progress. Well, we need to overcome this. Uh, you know, we, I know personally I'm committing myself to 2017 to a renewed commitment in prayer. You know, we got to be busy. I mean, we got to be busy, but we got to be praying too. That's got to be some of what we're busy doing. If we want our loved ones to come to faith, God's going to have to do it. Right? You know, it's, I was thinking of an illustration of that. You know, it, it was snowing when I was thinking of this illustration. In fact, I was going down the road when I was thinking of this illustration. I thought, you know, what good is a brand new plow in front of a, a plow truck that has no engine in it? That'd be a silly thing, wouldn't it? Prayer is the engine. And let, let me let me throw another one out there. Um, Imagine a plow truck with a brand new plow that has a weak engine. What's going to happen to that engine as that truck is used? It's going to destroy the engine, isn't it? This is why many fall into ministry, by the way. I'm not going to be a bit bashful about asking you for your prayers. You know, I certainly need your prayers. Don't ever think for a second that Rick Anderson can't fall. And may Rick Anderson never think that Rick Anderson can't fall. What's Apostle Paul tell us about that? Let none of us think that we can't fall. We need prayer. So in conclusion to all of this, because I'm digressing a little bit here, in conclusion to all this, we see, I think, what we have here is one of the greatest passages that we have in all of Scripture. I say that because in it we have this, this precious gift. And, and guess what, by the way? This passage is in the New Testament, isn't it? No. It's in the Old Testament. One of the most beautiful passages we have in all in Scripture, and there it is in the Old Testament. Now, that shouldn't surprise many of us. As we know, Jesus, he ministered from the Old Testament. He, the apostles turned the world upside down from the New Testament. But... What makes this passage so great is the gift. It's the gift of Christ. He's given to us. He's priceless in value. And every blessing that awaits is found only in one place, isn't it? It's found in Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for 
your goodness and grace to us, Lord. And Father, um, we pray that, Lord, in 2017, you will continually take us by the hand, that you will continually lead us, O Father. That, Father, we would come to see more and more of how precious this gift is, the gift of Christ Jesus. That we would discover new blessings in Christ. That we would discover that there's no bottom in the treasure chest of blessings that are in Christ. That we can keep digging and we will never reach the bottom. And that, Father, as we do so, as as you exalt Christ to our hearts, Father, maybe the things of this world will continually grow dim and dim and dim. Uh, that the treadmill will be shut off, Father, and uh, that we'll be off of it in looking to you where we find rest uh, for our souls. And uh, Father, we thank you for giving us such a great gift as you've given us in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen and amen.